97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I love coaching this football team. I love coaching those players in there. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It dropped this morning at 6 a.m. You can give that a listen. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, wherever you get your podcast. Jeff Mosher, Adam Kaplan hosts the podcast right now. It's Jeff Mosher solo on a Wednesday. Plenty to discuss as the Eagles offseason. You know, it's only it's less than a week old, and it's like uh, as the world turns. What's your favorite? What is your favorite soap opera, Jeff Mosher? Um, I never really watched soap operas until I met my wife, who happened to be at General Hospital. I think it's Gen- is it, that's the one where it's all mob people, right? General Hospital. I can't answer that question, but yeah, I think it's it's all mob. I, I, I never realized that. I thought soap operas were like kind of uh, a little bit, you know, different. But the General Hospital, I think, is all about the mob, if you can believe that. And so uh, I got I got I got hooked into it for a little while. I haven't watched it lately. My but- grandmother used to say, "Get out of the room. I want to watch my story." <laughs> we used to watch like here's a long, here's the thing about about uh, a soap mike that you can actually not watch a soap opera for like a good two or three years then start watching it again and then realize that the storylines are all the same like all the characters are pretty much the same everything yeah it, it moves so slowly that you didn't really miss that much yeah it's like uh watching a movie on the hallmark channel i was waiting for that <laughs> that I, I don't do Christ- much of like but. a christmas movie on the hallmark channel they're all exactly the same like Somebody's stuck in some small town, you know. Yes, it's always snowing. There's always 30 feet of snow on the right, ground. They in those can't movies leave. Too. They're kind of stuck there. They meet somebody, and at the end, that person is so great that you are willing to live in, like, you know, Jamisonville, Idaho, instead of moving back to New York City. <laughs> right. And you and you discovered all of it through the love of Christmas, right? Exactly. All, that's how it ties in. Because yes. Jamisonville, Idaho is known for how great Christmas is. Maybe that's where Carson Wentz is going. <laughs> exactly. That could be it. Uh, Andrew Brandt was on the show Monday, said this, Jeff Mosher. You know, the mm-hmm. option that I've only I've always come back to is kind of the boring one. You know, people like to talk about a trade to Frank Reich, a trade to the Patriots, whatever it is, giving back money. I really think the only option, to me, the only option is two words. Fix him. Fix him. Fix him. <laughs> this is not someone who's never done it. That's the only option. Fix him. Is that the way the Eagles see it? Well, I mean, I think, and you heard Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson on Monday pretty much speak very glowingly of Carson Wentz. And as we sit here today with so much uncertainty going on, uh, I believe that they would love to be able to bring him back and fix him. And that I believe that any discussions that are going on right now about the future of the team are geared toward what they can do to fix Carson Wentz. I guess the question I would have for, for Andrew and anybody else is, if Carson has made up his mind and decides that he does not want to be fixed in Philadelphia and he's going to play hardball, and we've already seen some some cues in the media that uh, through the media that he's in that position, then what do you, what what's the recourse for that? Because in order for them to fix him here, he's got to want to be fixed here. That is 100% true, but don't the Eagles kind of have say over that? I mean, he could say, I want to be traded all they want. They could say, well, we have 160 million reasons why you're not getting traded. 
Yes. I mean, they absolutely could. And so they have to kind of make this decision to what you're alluding to. What if Carson, you know, makes a big stink and continues it, but the Eagles say, well, too bad you signed your contract. You're here and we're not going to deal you. What happens there? Uh, the Eagles have to decide if that's the kind of ugliness that they would want hovering over the franchise going forward. I would put that that's probably high on the list of the many grievances that they've got to figure out here uh, in this offseason, which promises to be a very interesting offseason. Do you I think, think your bread's done? Yeah, something's going on. The toast. That's my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that there would be a lot of teams willing to just go right in on it? If the Eagles said, look, Carson Wentz is available. Howie's phone's nonstop ringing? Well, is it ringing? Yeah. I mean, there are teams that need a quarterback, and I'm sure there are teams that would like to have Carson Wentz. But the question is, are are the Eagles going to get enough compensation? Are they getting a first-round pick? I don't know that teams right now look at Carson Wentz and the season that he just had and think that that's worth giving up a first-round pick for them to try to fix. You know, it's like you, you total the car, and then you're trying to pawn it off on somebody, and you're asking full price for that car when it hasn't even yet – been uh been remodeled or anything like that you're just not going to get uh the the value that you should expect in return for a franchise quarterback you're going to probably get offers that are um you know commensurate with a quarterback who played in the bottom third in the league you know you may get a decent you know maybe someone gives you once a third maybe someone's willing to talk a second I, I have no idea it might be conditional depending on how Carson goes but you know that's not the situation that the Eagles would want to be in because then that forces them to have to trade a guy, get less than ideal value in return, and and start all over at the quarterback position. Um, you got this other situation where um, the the fracturing of this uh, relationship, as it's being reported, is if you bring Doug, if you bring Wentz back, and you have an idea that there's a fraction of the relationship. Are you surprised that Peterson is safe? Like, wouldn't you have to say, I have all this invested in Wentz. There's a fraction of the relationship. I have to think about saving, salvaging Wentz, and the only way to do that might be to see if a fresh start for him is the best scenario. Well, this is something, Mike, that I brought up on the pod. Adam and I have talked about on the podcast where it seems like the cart may be before the horse here in terms of what's going on or just maybe the perception of what's going on. I think people have assumed that Doug is definitely coming back because he did the the interview the the media press conference with Howie on Monday. But I mean, we all know that uh that well, I can tell you. I mean, there was a meeting uh you know that 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 happens at the end of every year uh with Doug and Howie and and Jeffrey and that started yesterday. I don't know what resulted in that meeting and the fact that nothing's really come out makes me wonder what these conversations are like, you know, how receptive each side is to any changes that are being talked about. I have no idea what's going on, but I do think it would be interesting if you have a quarterback who's basically said, I can't, I don't want to play with this head coach anymore. And you're bringing back the head coach. Does that mean you've already decided that you're not bringing back the quarterback or that you've decided you're going to make the quarterback do some things against his will because you have that power and leverage. These are all, questions that I that I don't know the answers to and I think we have to wait and see you know what happens what results from these meetings that are going on right now between Jeffrey and the, the coaching staff and Doug and Howie what changes are being asked to be made what you know and what, what kind of what will it look like after those changes are made and how will that impact the quarterback position going forward it's almost impossible to answer right now without any more information so out of these meetings with 
uh, Jeffrey, is there a possibility they do an about face and Doug and the sides separate? I mean, I would say that there's certainly that possibility. I know that the report from, I forget who it was from ESPN, whether it was Schefter or Mortensen last week, said that, you know, the team was expected to retain Doug Peterson and expected is an interesting word. It doesn't mean they definitely are, right? It just means they're expected to. So I guess what that suggests is that whatever changes they want to make, Doug's going to be on board with. And if he is on board with it, then I'm guessing then, you know, he'll be able to keep his job or, you know, whatever recommendations he's asked to make, we'll have to see if Jeffrey is on board with those. But I do think that anything, and we said this in the podcast, nothing should be considered etched in stone right now. There's just too much silence going on around the organization. We know the meetings just basically started yesterday and there's a lot of things that they have to talk about, not just, the quarterback, right, and uh, but also the defensive staff. They need a new defensive coordinator. There, there, there are so, personnel, cap, uh, money. All of these things have to be discussed as they try to plot the future of this team after a four-win year. So that's a lot that's on the table. Do you personally think that bringing back Doug Peterson is the right move for this organization? Well, here's what I said in the pod that dropped today, Hunter. That I, I don't understand. This is not me putting my own opinion. It's just looking at it, trying to look at it objectively. If you're the owner of a team and you want changes and the changes have to occur in the coaching staff, that to me is an issue because that's not, in my opinion, the job of an owner. An owner is supposed to have a head coach who's able to hire and fire his own coaches and knows which coaches need to stay, which coaches need to go, shouldn't have to be told, shouldn't have to be um, you know, enforced upon him. So if I'm an owner of a team and if I think – for a couple of years running now that my head coach isn't doing a good enough job with his coaching staff, then I would think I need a new head coach because I think it's a bad model to have an owner making these decisions. That's not my personal feel on it. Now I'm not saying Doug's a good coach or a bad coach with that. I'm just saying like if I ran a business that way and somebody's in charge of my business and they're in charge of bringing in people and making sure those people do their jobs. And yet year after year, we're constantly changing the people underneath then I'm going to say, wait a minute, this person who I'm putting in charge is not doing what I've hired him to do. And so that is the confusion for me as to why this continues to go on. And we see all these changes year in, year out. And, and it makes me wonder what Jeffrey is thinking about Doug's competency in that area. Is the worry becoming that Lori more and more is hiring people that he that you're saying they're not doing what I'm hiring them to do? But is it more that Jeffrey's not allowing them to do the job? the way it's supposed to be done well i don't i don't know that at all you know i mean look, well, we yeah, know right 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 but i'm just saying i don't think <laughs> that we ever thought that Lori was a problem i'm not saying Je jeffrey is a problem no, i'm saying I'm it's saying a problem saying right. if an owner thinks right that this is what he has to do so it's either you're right so, so it's either a Lori problem a doug problem or a both problem right that's what i'm but, saying is i never i don't think most fans ever said the owner is the problem. Like Sixers fans, like Josh Harris needs to sell the team. Well, you don't hear that as much anymore because you got Maury in there and he's kind of changed some th the perception. I think mm -hmm. as long as Roseman's in there, the perception is that Roseman needs to go. But part of it might be that Lori likes Roseman there because Roseman's not going to push back on him. Well, that, that might be part of it as well, uh, Mike. I mean, the, the bottom line is I don't know who is a specifically – doing what right i just know that this team has changed coaches year after year after i mean how many wide receivers coaches have they had in the last five years five right 
uh, Mike Rogan. Uh, then we'll see what happens with Press Taylor here, and we'll see what happens with um, you know, the Marty Morningwigs and Rich Scangarello. Like, if if they're in and out and in and out, like what what's going on here? Where is there the disconnect? Clearly, these moves were made last year at this time. You know, the bringing in of Marty, bringing in of Scangarello, bringing of Andrew Briner to help the offense. Well, the offense got worse. Somebody is responsible for that. Keeping it with Doug Peterson, there were reports yesterday about a sideline situation with him and the message that he was sending. Kelsey came out today and somewhat shut it down. Have you heard anything about that situation, and, and what are your thoughts? Spoke to one player yesterday about it, and um, look, just and I'll, I'll preface by saying one player doesn't speak for an entire locker room. This is just one player who, who did play in the game. And I asked him if he observed anything like uh, aggressive behavior to Doug and he said, if that happened, you'd have to show it to me. Meaning, like, he didn't see it, so you'd have to prove it to him that it happened because he did not see anything like that. And then he told me that he knew what the deal was and that he wasn't mad about it. And, you know, again, that's just one player's opinion. But, um, you know, you'd have to ask, I guess, all fit. Obviously, Miles Sanders felt yeah. a little bit differently, but he didn't play well, in the game. I have a problem with Miles Sanders. I mean, he didn't even play in the game and apparently was – healthy enough to play had the game you know that's some nerve to be a kind of a healthy scratch and i mean come on i, I thought that yeah, was he pretty... may have been speaking out of place yeah i mean i think he, his heart may have been the right i don't i don't dis, i don't besmirch any player who, who says they want to win a game or they're not happy with the way it's handled but right. i mean he did kind of he did pass his opinion off as the locker room opinion and i don't think that that's Correct. necessarily the case yeah and it's like uh you know Maybe you didn't get the memo because, oh, by the way, you weren't active this week. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, right, uh, that, right. That that right. was, uh, but I mean, obviously, just adds to all the circus that has happened around this team. I want to ask you, Jeff, about, you know, I, we asked what's the biggest question about the Eagles this off season, and I think a lot of people would say, who's the quarterback? Okay, that's fine, but the problem is that to get to that answer has so many layers. So. Realistically, when they finally figure out where to start this offseason, where do you think Roseman, Peterson, and Lori start? Well, I guess the coaching staff, I, I, I feel like the coaching staff, the offensive coaching staff, and the quarterback situation are, are one in 1A. I mean, they clearly have, even if Carson winds up never being an Eagle again, right? They still got to make sure that what happened to Carson never happens to their next quarterback, whether it's Jalen Hurts or whoever. So they've got to have the right people in place to be able to coach this team correctly so that they're not constantly shuffling coaches year after year and expecting some different result. Uh, and then you can extend that also. You need a defensive coordinator. That That's going to be a huge, huge um, move for this team to have to make going into the future. They're, they're assembled a certain way. You know, the team is drafted and acquired players to fit that Jim Schwartz model, that wide nine, go heavy on the defensive line, the the type of defensive lineman that get upfield quickly. I mean, if they hired a defensive coordinator, you know, in the next week or two who likes a 3-4 and he likes the two-gap with big, you know, 350-pound defensive linemen, well, then they're they got to make a, a real quick makeover. So, but but I, that's that's really to me secondary to the coaching, the offensive coaching and the quarterback issue right now. Got to figure that out. Well, speaking of the defense real quick, a name that came out to me internally would be Matt Burke. Do you think that that's someone that's realistic and uh, would be able to do a good job here? Yeah, I mean, he's someone that um, I was told would uh, does want to to have that job. You know, he was a defensive coordinator 
in Miami. I mean, it's not breaking news that a that a veteran position coach wants to be defensive coordinator. I feel like Marquand Manuel, who is also a uh, defensive coordinator in Atlanta, uh, will probably want to get his hat in the ring there, or at least be interviewed. And it might make some sense to keep some stability, knowing that the personnel you have is built a certain way. But I, I certainly wouldn't limit my thinking to just in-house candidates. I want to know who the best you know, defensive minds out there are and what their plans are. I want to, if I'm Jeffrey Lurie, I want somebody to knock me off my socks like Brandon Staley did for Sean McVay in, in LA and, and get someone who I think is uh, a visionary. And then once I got that guy, then I, then I worry about transforming my defense and getting my personnel to suit that guy or that person's schemes. Do you, uh, I mean, on the defensive front and the coordinator stuff, do you read anything more into Schwartz other than he doesn't want to coach anymore? You know, I know there's been some talk about his health not being great. I've kind of got mixed uh, opinions on that. I don't think he's in any grave danger or anything like that. You know, I, I, I know that he's not always been the most popular guy within the Novacare complex. He can rub people the wrong way. And maybe he probably hasn't found uh, some of the guys he's working with to be the most popular people as well. I do think there's a, a part of this where Jim is just like, you know what, <laughs> I might coach again. Um, but it's probably best to do it somewhere else. It's time to move on. I'm sure that there that 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 sentiment is in his mind. And to be honest with you, I don't know his contract situation. It might have been up. I don't know that yes. the Eagles were definitely contract going to bring was him. Up. Yeah, yeah, contract was up, and they just said he's going to allow it to run out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was essentially that. Now I had yeah. read when the news first came out was that the Eagles approached him at some point, and he just was not really interested. Yeah, well, then that kind of go, kind of goes to show you what's been going on at the Novacare Complex the last uh, year or two, if not longer. I mean, there's just – I've often said, and I'll say it again, I think the number one goal for any good sports franchise is to have everybody kind of pulling together in the same direction and on the same page, and there are times where I just don't get the sense that that's happening with the Eagles. You've been screaming safety for a long time now when it comes to adding something to this defense. <laughs> A lot yeah. of these mock drafts, though, with sixth overall, has Parsons available. Would that intrigue you? <laughs> Didn't we, we, I, I thought you guys asked me this the other day, and I and I yelled at somebody for even asking. You know, that must it, have been Gil. Yeah, well, yeah if, I said if, most, if, mock, if Roseman, most mock drafts had Parsons going number six. Yeah, just I know that you're really into having that. You've been screaming for it for a while, and I know that. And we had Decheco on yesterday. He said versatility is big with this. He's not just a linebacker. And I know that's something that, you know, you look for that safety Malcolm Jenkins type role, and I didn't know if that was, uh, you know, something that you would, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought he was kind of a linebacker. I, I don't know if he's the type of – I mean, maybe he's kind of like an Isaiah Simmons type now where he, he plays multiple different positions. But I think that, you know, you guys have seen this team long enough to know that they place a priority on the offensive line and the defensive line. And when they pick in the top 10, 80% of the time it's going to be an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. And there's always the outside chance, I think, for this draft that you could see wide receiver because there there are two who are considered top five, top six kind of guys. And you can certainly add another wide receiver to this group and, and upgrade it. But I just don't think philosophically that they would take a player like Micah Parsons. And and, and I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just telling you that, you know, of course, I'm a Penn State guy. You guys know I love Micah Parsons, but I, I just don't see this franchise going that direction. Um. Today, Jason Kelsey basically tweeted out that, um, hey, there was no problems on the sideline. We knew Nate was going in. So does that make you feel better going into the offseason that 
maybe this isn't a circus. The culture of the locker room is in, uh, in danger here. Yeah, I never, to be fair, I, I never felt that Doug had lost the locker room after that game. I, I thought it, a little bit was being too much made of it. Uh, and that's even before the report came out about him being, um, you know, I guess some, some guys trying to get at him. So, again, the, from what I've spoken to, it's not, uh, you know, the, the players are not like anti-Doug now. There's no mutiny going on because of that. And um, so, I, you know, I, I, I have a lot bigger concerns about the future of the franchise uh, for other reasons than, than that. All right. Um, we got plenty more on this offseason, of course, uh, which will be uh, huge. I mean, this is big. I mean, pick number six, how he said it the other day, we have to hit this. But he also insinuated, Jeff, that they were really aggressive in 17, 18, and 19, and that because of that aggression, eh, they maybe are in the position they're in now because they – kind of went for it in those three years is that like an acceptable thing to, to say and then be like okay then i can give you a couple of years of downness because you went for it for that three-year window well you know the thing is when you have a quarterback who's supposed to be really good right you're supposed to be able to turn over a team and still be competitive so i don't think it's i don't think a four or five or six win season should ever be accepted under the premise that you're turning the roster over if you didn't break the if the team hadn't broken the quarterback they probably would have won a bunch more games this year because there were some games that were winnable that they just completely bottomed out because of the quarterback play i think it's acceptable to say you may not have a 12 or 13 win team you may not be in the you know the, the nfc championship game but look the seattle seahawks they turned over their roster, and yeah, they, it's taken them a while. To, you know, they had some seasons where they were only in the first round of the playoff, but they were always competitive. They always had a chance, and uh, I think you've seen that with a lot of franchises that have really good quarterback play. You can do, you can stay competitive while you turn your roster over. So I don't think there's any excuse for saying the Eagles should be satisfied well, or accepting of winning less than seven games a year. I would agree with that, and I would only turn and ask if. They don't have the injuries that they have, which is a part of it, but this was a historic injury year. Are they a four-win team? No, probably not. But, but they I'm, might be but... a seven-win team if they are if they have Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson and Andre Dillard and, you know. Yeah, yeah injuries are a part of it, I mean, but every team has them. I mean, you know, the, the Seahawks offensive line was beat up for years and years and years, and Russell took a beating, and they still would win nine or ten games, so – I'm sure if I go through, you know, the same thing with the Patriots and the Packers and the Saints, they they lose players. They have to turn the roster over at times. But, you know, and then I know the Saints did go through some tough times before they had to get back, got back up there. But um, it shouldn't really be accepted. I mean, you can win and turn over a roster at the same time. All right, Jeff Mosher, Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. If you want more Eagles, get the podcast. It dropped this morning at 6 a.m. They'll have another one on Friday and this offseason just getting underway, but it is going to be a fun, bumpy, wild ride, and we'll be there the whole way during football at four. Thanks, pal. You got it. Thanks, guys. And he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. There you go. We got uh, a little bit more insight on, on that whole situation. But I'll tell you this, you know, and somebody texted in about the Sanders thing, that, you know, that you have to be active – uh, the excuses and the justifications made for throwing the game is pitiful. No one's making excuses or justifications for throwing the game because, quite frankly, we don't care that they threw the game. People need to grow up. By the way, people are talking about the integrity of football and all this stuff. 
the same clowns who don't like Roger Goodell because they don't think he has integrity and that the sport doesn't have integrity and they're only there for money and business and all that kind of stuff. So there is no integrity in the NFL. The Eagles did what they thought was right. It wasn't about throwing the game. It was about Sanders was healthy enough to play. So if he has a problem with how things went down, maybe he could have said, I've worked hard all year. I want to play in this game. He wasn't fighting to try to get out on that field. And that's why the integrity of the game phrase bothers me. It's more about just how they did it. They could have done this in a better way where it wouldn't have been on display the way that it was. You know, it's just it's just the way they did it. It's not so much about the integrity of the game. It's just an awful look. If you just start Nate Sudfeld, I don't think we even have this conversation at all. No, if, that's... if he just started the game, or no matter what the score was at half, if he just came out in the second half, I don't think we even have this conversation. Sports Bash is brought to you by Matt Black Kia. They want to get you approved today. 6211 Black Horse Bike EHC. Follow me on Twitter. At Mike Gill Show. He's at Broads81. Watch the show live on our Facebook channel, 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, coming up tonight at 5, it's John Clayton, the professor. We'll talk NFL playoffs. We'll get his thoughts on what's next for the Eagles. It's Sixers basketball tonight on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis, calling all the exciting play-by-play action. That shot three, got it. That's a new look for the Sixers. ESPN. Bottom of the hour, 4.30. Yes, Sixers basketball tonight on 97.3 ESPN. South Jersey Sixers station. They play the Wizards. If you missed our Sixers insider, Paul Hudrick, check it out on our YouTube channel. So I want to play some of the audio here from Andrew Brandt from yesterday's or from Monday's show and get some uh, reaction to it because I thought he, you know, he is pretty steadfast on one thing and one thing only. It's that the Eagles have one option here, and it is to fix Carson Wentz. It is not trading. It is not releasing. It is that he will be on the roster next year. If I was Jeffrey Lurie, I'd bring in Peterson, and I'd say, can we fix him? And if not, should someone else be fixing him? Because I don't understand why that's not the option here. Jeffrey Lurie sits down with Peterson. Can we fix him? Here's the problem. If there's any strain in the relationship and Peterson doesn't want to try to fix him, he's not going to give an answer that might be fair to Carson Wentz. That's very true. I just look at it when I hear Andrew speak because he's very persistent on this. He's very He's, he has the mindset of there's just no way that you can do it. And I think he's talking about from an experienced mindset in the front office that you can't have $30 million on the book for a backup. It's not a wash. You're not paying no matter if he's here or not here. It's not a wash. He had that comment to say as well. I, I think he's just been around for so long and seeing how everything has played out in other areas, saying like no one would ever do this. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't do this. You know what I mean, though? Like, seriously, just because 98% of the time people wouldn't do this, there's still 2%, though. Maybe this is one of those very, 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 very unique situations where it does happen. I think Brand is going by the experience that he has had working in the league as an executive and also as an agent. I'm the agent. I work out this contract. 
if I'm the agent and I worked out that contract, I did it for the safety of my client so that I know he's not getting released, so that I know that he's not getting traded. Why? Because my client wants to buy a home, he wants to settle down, he wants to have kids, he wants to get married, he wants to live in that community. He doesn't want to have to be worried about, I make this amount of money, but they can get out of the contract, and they can cut me, and they can trade me. No, these penalties were put into this deal to protect Carson Wentz from any of this happening. So that's where Brandt is, is looking at this from that perspective, correct? Yes, I would agree with you. So when he says... You only have one option, and your option is to fix him. But what he just said there, I don't think that Wentz gets a fair shake in being fixed if Laurie simply asked Peterson, can we fix this guy? And Peterson may be like, dude, I'm not going through another year of this guy. No, he's not fixable. But which is cr- this is the crazy part about this, where the mixed messaging is all happening. If Laurie doesn't trust Doug Peterson to pick the coaching staff to do certain things, why would he trust Doug Peterson and trust his response when it comes to Carson? Why should he trust what Doug has to say about fixing Carson if he can't trust Doug Peterson to pick an assistant coach or an offensive assistant coach or any of these assistant, assistant, assistant executive coaches? goes back to what I said in the first hour. Lori does not want to make constant change but if if okay i understand that logic but those if, guys don't matter but if it's the if the right thing to do is to make that change you don't just stay with one just to stay with somebody it's similar to you always this say this and i'm with different you, you don't make a change to make a change i agree with this you. is different do you stay just to stay this is different why is it different this guy won a super bowl He's not some bonehead that you picked up off the street that but Lori, he's not Rich Cotite. But Lori obviously looks a certain way at him. He looks at him as someone who can't even pick his own coaching staff. Who wins a Super Bowl and can't pick their own coaching staff? Oh, maybe he's a good X and O guy on game day, but he's not good. You, just because you do certain things well doesn't mean you're good at everything. People just assume that you're just supposed to be great at all these things. No, like, but it's it's a part of the head coach in the end. Like you could be a great leader, but be a horrible town evaluator. Like you could be a great leader of men, but you know I always say like. The person, the person who's really good at sales, okay? You have a salesperson, and you're really good at sales. I think are the people who are really good at sales are really bad at hiring salespeople. Why? Because you're really good at sales. You believe that anybody can sell because you can sell. So they hire people thinking, I can teach them how to sell. You're a great salesperson, but that doesn't mean that guy's going to be a good salesperson. So, Doug, you're a good coach, but that doesn't mean you can hire other good coaches. The only counter to that is all these other coaches in the NFL don't seem to have that issue. Like, there's all these other coaches. Well, we don't know that. Do that. We don't know how these other organizations run. I think we're hearing what goes on here. I don't know, in Cincinnati, does he get to pick his own coaches? Does he hire his own guys? Is Mike Brown? But the owner of the team in Cincinnati, I go to Cincinnati, which is a dumpster fire of an organization, but anywhere. I don't know. How many places does the coach handpick his own staff? Maybe all of them? I don't know that answer. That's fair. I think we're just taking under – I think we're just assuming 
But I, I would say this. But I these think good it's coaches in the league. I th- so let's. You're right. Cincinnati dumpster fire. All this. If we look at Tomlin, Belichick, Super Bowl winning coaches. Let's say. So let's take the Super Bowl winning coaches. Do they all pick their staff? I would imagine so. And it's not like I have all the details yeah. in front of me. But would you agree that you would imagine Probab- that they probably get probably, to do it? Probably. But I think it's all. I think it's a combination of everything. Like everything in the NFL. It's like as soon as a GM goes somewhere, we always tie. Well, that player's going to go there. Why? Well, he drafted him when he was in Cleveland with them. Oh, he's with the Jets. Well, he drafted him when he was with uh, Joe Douglas. Got players from the Bears to come to the Eagles. And same with coaches. Well, that guy was on the staff in Philly when Joe Douglas was there. So what happens? Joe Douglas says, I've got a spot for you on my staff here. And Adam Gase might say, I don't want that guy on my staff. He worked with me in Philly. He's really good. You're taking him. I'm sure that happens all the time. I'm sure that that does happen, yeah. Now, the difference might be Roseman has been here 22 years. It's not like he's been backpacking all over the league that has made all these connections with coaches here, there. And, like, who knew Rich Scangarella, and why was he the man that was handpicked to be on Doug's staff? Right, that's a good question. What was it about him that they said, you're taking him? I think what they tried to do was they tried to look around. So they wanted to pick something from Kyle Shanahan tree. They wanted to pick something from this tree, that tree. So they would have all these different versions of coaches and put it together to come up with something creative. I think that was their philosophy. Yeah, and here's the problem I have with that. You are now trying to emulate others. You won the Super Bowl. Emulate yourself. Instead, they tried to break from this mold and went to, I got to do what they're doing. I want to do what they're doing. I want to do what they're doing. Isn't that what the NFL is, though? It ends up being a copycat league at the end of the day. Absolutely. But the problem is people were trying to copycat you. You were the team that people were trying to copycat, and that's what ended up happening. I'm going to take your coach. I'm going to take your coach. I'm going to take your coach to the point that you allowed other teams to then copycat you, and then you said, man, we had the recipe, and now we're copying off of other people. Do you really think that, though? Like, I haven't heard much around the league of people saying, like, oh, we got to do what the Eagles did. Everyone says we want to be the Steelers, we want to do what the Patriots did, we want to do this. I don't know if anyone was like, we need to do what the Eagles did. Well, that's the NFL, though. It's like... Other than the Patriots, and we say that yeah, all the time. Yeah, they're the outlier. There's nobody that's really constantly at the top of the pecking order. You have your run. You got that window open. If you don't win that Super Bowl, you fall back down. You got to try to open that window back up. You get another two years. You get through that window, and if you're not there, you it's like right. you could say Seattle, but it's not even close to what no. what the Patriots did. It's like literally, it's like playing a game of Donkey Kong. You're going up the ladder, down the ladder, up the ladder, down the ladder. You're running back and forth. You're like you're trying to get to the top, but like that barrel just keeps chasing you around. And you know, the Eagles are in this situation. I think I don't want to say they're in a panic. The quarterback's play has caused extra panic if the quarterback doesn't play this poorly I don't know that we're looking at this team in the same misery in this offseason as we are right now I contend again if the offensive line is not a dumpster fire now that doesn't mean next year Lane Johnson plays one game hurts his ankle he's out for the whole season now you're back to square one but that's happens injuries derail things but if these guys are healthy, Brandon Brooks is the best right te- guard in football. If you have those two guys, I just said with most, you don't win four games this year. You might not win 12, but you're not as a dumpster fire as it appears because the line was so injured and banged up, coupled with the quarterback being so bad. If the quarterback had just played well, 
you could say, well, our line was banged up. That's why we went 8-8. Eight and eight. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just the only problem I have, and I'm not saying this is absolutely going to happen, it's just my concern inside, is what I saw out of Deshaun and Alshon once they hit a certain age is, you know, common injuries, they're getting banged up. And I'm not saying that's exactly what is going to happen, but my I, I do have a little bit of concern on relying on Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks, but I understand why you would rely on them at the same time. You have to. You, uh, you, don't, have do. a, you I, don't have a you, you don't have a choice. You do. And when they are playing well, they're that elite at the same time. Like we're talking about arguably the best right side in all of football. Yeah. So you have to take that chance. I'm just nervous about that chance. Just because I know they're getting up there. I you know they're having option. injuries. I know you don't. I know you don't. You I know. can't fix everything in one shot, so you have to take the route of, I'm going to hope these guys are healthy and can get back to the level. Even if they don't get back to the level that they were, they are huge upgrades over what you ended the year with. Now, what if something like this happens? Because it occurred this past offseason. What if you start camp and someone goes down, like Lane Johnson goes down in camp, and now you're, uh-oh, now we got to do something that right tackle position. What, do you move Driscoll in and now he's your starter? Like, what if something happens before the season begins and you're already yeah. off to that slow start with injuries once again? Or well, fast start, I and guess. Here's what I would say, and it's a fair question. At least this year, and this goes back to what we talked about yesterday a little bit with Dallas and their situation. The Eagles had injuries. Dallas had injuries, okay? The Eagles had injuries. The problem they had with their injuries, like Dallas had injuries. Their guys weren't very good, but they were there. The guy who played left tackle sucked, but he was the left tackle every week at least. So by the end of the year, the guy playing left tackle and the guy playing left guard, they had some communication they had some continuity. Matt Pryor started games at four different spots on the line. But I would say, in your scenario, if you only lose one guy on the line, that's you can get past that. If Lane Johnson gets hurt and he's the only guy that gets hurt for multiple games, all right, Driscoll, you started a bunch of games last year. He can go play right tackle next to Brandon Brooks and have that continuity there and be like, okay, we can handle losing just Lane Johnson. But it gets into the murky area where it's Lane Johnson gets hurt. Well, then Sayamala gets hurt. Well, now the right guard gets hurt. And now you're moving guys. Well, Pryor had to go into a game playing right guard. Well, the next week we moved him to left guard because he feels more comfortable there. Well, then the right tackle got hurt. Well, I don't have another right tackle, so now i got to move Pryor from right guard to right tackle, which means I'm now going to my third right guard. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And the only reason why I bring this up is I feel one of the reasons why you had so many injuries is because you relied on those 30-plus-year-olds. And I'm not saying they're the only ones that got injured, but that's why I tie it to Lane and Brandon Brooks specifically is because, you know, they are hitting that back stretch. But once again, I think it's you have to take that opportunity. I'm not saying you don't have to take that opportunity or take that chance. Yeah, you I can't just have, just say, I just guys, have fear. 30, we're moving on from Right, you. I agree with that. Like, the I, Eagles I just, used to do that. I have fear, that's all. In the Andy Reid era. You're 30 years old, you're done. They wouldn't re-sign you to the contract. The difference is these guys have contracts. Right. But I think Howie Roseman has learned, again, from the mistakes he's made this time around, the Reed era, they wouldn't sign you if you were over 30. I don't think he would give those same contracts out again to guys like Brandon Graham, older guys. I think you're actually seeing him. That's why Zach Ertz was crying the other day, because he's not doing that. Because I think Roseman got a little sentimental. 
sign those guys. I don't think he's going to do that again. I don't think he's going to bring back guys who are in that uh, that age group. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. John Clayton at 5. Sixers tonight. Download the app. It's free in the App Store. 97.3 ESPN.com slash app. Turn it on. Leave it on. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 12 after the hour, Sports Bash Live. ESPN. Don't forget, download the app. Get it free in the App Store. I'm Mike Gill. At Mike Gill Show on Twitter. He's at Broads81. Uh, That was good Eagles stuff there. You can text in your Eagles thoughts on what we're talking about. 609-403-0973. Sixers and Wizards tonight here on 97.3. Some great football this weekend, by the way, Gill. And DraftKings is giving you the chance to double your money. All it takes is for one touchdown to be scored during Saturday's football games. That's right. Once you opt in and place your bet, all you have to do is sit back and wait for a touchdown. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code 973 when you sign up to have a shot at doubling your money if a touchdown is scored in one of Saturday's football games. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tonight, Ben Simmons over under. I'm going to set it. Okay, so this is your own personal... Well, I'm going to set it and then see if DraftKings agrees with me. Oh, okay. I All like right. this. Yeah. Over, under, 16 and a half. Wow, I think that's a little high. Yeah? I do. I think that's a little high. So, how about I go for a guess? I'll go uh, 14 and a half. Watch, it'll be 15 and a half. <laughs> yeah, probably. Which, going over, according to the price is right, is wrong. Therefore, I win. We'll see, though. We will see. Let me... Uh... Pull it up here. Would so, you like to look at my Yeti while that loads? <laughs> I have something over here. What is this one? Somebody gave me this for Christmas. Uh, is that the West Virginia one? No, that one's at home. I don't bring it. It looks one in similar here. to that, though. It's is an it? Apex. Oh, okay. How do you like it? Very. No, you go no lid on that? No, my lid's over there. Oh, okay. Sometimes these things, I, oh, yeah. I need it to be boiling hot, but sometimes these things are like, can I you calm a, it down a little bit? I drink a fast coffee. Yeah, you do. You Are you done your that's, coffee? Oh, that's way done. Way done. Yeah. See, I like to enjoy I'm I, actually thinking about getting another one. Wow. We should both do that during the break. We should have on the show a coffee off where like, and the listeners would see our progression. We would start at two and see how much coffee we can have <laughs> until we all start shaking. And then by 530, people are already shutting us off, you know, because so we're off the rails. Uh, over under Ben Simmons, 16 and a half. 16 and a half. You yeah. looked that up I before. Didn't. So you would say under. I yeah, I would say under. I mean, I'm just basing this off of the last couple of games, 12, 11, 13, 14. He had yeah, 15 why. the other night. So I'm going under. That's why, because he's not scored that much. Late. He scored 15 the other night. 15, yeah. He had a couple late ones that helped out for sure. But, yeah, how do you feel about his offensive game? Are you as concerned as me? I'm not. It's not that I'm insanely concerned. I'm more concerned that he's not finishing at the rim. It's not even about the attempts at this point. The attempts are there, 10 field goal attempts. That's fine. Now it's about finishing. I think he's really got to take that next step and get stronger at the basket. Because then you talk about the shooting. Well, I mean, if he hits, if he has 15 shots and or 15 points, excuse me, and he finishes some of those points at the rim, now you're talking 20, and now I'm a little bit more satisfied. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I I gotta I gotta see him take that next step finishing. The one thing, like I think that Ben, the whole I never was Ben needs to shoot. He has to shoot. 
It was he needs to be more aggressive. And I think he's being more aggressive, but I think he can even take it to another level. And I do still think he can add the elbow jumper, that that part of his game. But I, I think the biggest change for Ben has been the spacing is helping him too. It's helping create more lanes to the basket. That he, that I would he didn't agree. have before. Yeah, there's something that he keeps doing each game that I point out. It's he's dri- he's like lowering his shoulder. He's being aggressive. He's driving, but instead of going for a layup, sometimes it's about five or six feet, and he pulls back and he actually shoots a jumper-looking shot. Yeah, it, I mean he could just do a foul line jumper, right? Like take the ball to the basket and then boom, stop. And then just pull up on that foul line. I thought Paul said something really interesting when we had him on. There hasn't been that many moments this year, and I I guess I didn't even realize it until he said it, where I was like, damn, Ben, come on, shoot that one. I know, and over the last couple of years, I mean, come on, we would uh, be screaming, pulling our hair out, going, well, you're wide open, shoot it. You really haven't seen that. And maybe that has to do with, you know, finding that open Seth Curry, finding open Danny Green. So it's not as standout. That open Danny Green. So it's not as standout to you, and it doesn't happen as much because you're finding open options that are such great looks. But it it didn't really stand out to me until he said it. It's like, you're right. There there were no legitimate insane moments. And if there was, it might have been one early on. That's that's good news.